What's up, guys? Alex Contreras alongside Eli Sussman. Welcome back to another episode of Marlins Barbecue. What better way to come back, Eli, huh? Than with two W's, baby. Woo! It's exactly where we left off last spring. The most dominant team in the league at the moment, at the top of the Grapefruit League standings. It's, it's so much fun. It's so much fun to follow this team. They take it seriously this early in the year, and it's a good combo of the prospects. Everybody from the real prospects to like the journeymen at the end of the rosters, they they have that good chemistry going. And as we saw last year, it flowed into the regular season a little bit. So fingers crossed they, they'll be able to do the same thing this year, but uh, still a long way to go. Spring is back, baby. The smell of fresh cut grass, huh? The vendors yelling out in the stands, ice cold beer, huh? Our childhood love is back once again, man. Look, we didn't have to look. Let, let's look past the fact that we had just one camera angle behind home plate, right? Let's put it past that point that we didn't have a transmission. Let's take the fact that we were able to just simply enjoy watching Major League Baseball. Like if we were at Roger Dean Stadium, all right, here in Glenn Geffner, narrate the game, Kyle Seeloff, the first game. Damn, it feels so freaking good to, to hear our Marlins back on the on the transmission waves, seeing them play baseball. And if that wasn't enough, like we had so much excitement going into the spring training camp, the, the second base battle. And what a way to begin jazz. Apple taco, baby, right immediately. What a second pitch of the game. So that, that gave you a lot of excitement to see jazz. He's the future. He's knocking on the door. He's giving that competition to Isan. So you, you love that competition, seeing that competition inside the, the team. The same thing can be said about the first base uh, position and the catcher. But, man, what a way to get started, huh? Jazz, that home run, and then Isan, he's been playing top-notch defense today. He made a hell of a play. Uh, uh, it was a 7-4-3, Corey Dickerson to Isan to first, and they got the, the first Mets runner of the game. They got him. They erased him immediately as soon as he rounded first base on a heads-up play by Isan. So I, I was questioning myself. I was like, yo, does Isan make that play? if he doesn't have that competition with Jazz? It's really interesting. Um, if you want to read between the lines really closely, Madden Lee has been saying throughout the spring, we're going to bring these guys on pretty slowly, that most of these players, if they start one game, they're going to get the next day off and vice versa and really ease into it. But Isan and Lewis Brinson were the only two guys that started each of the first two games, both of them in the field for those two games. And I don't think that's a total coincidence. Those are guys that have a lot to prove this year, um, probably in probably Isan more than anybody else, because for a variety of reasons, not going to do much at all last season. Now in that competition with jazz. And if you want to like split hairs between the two, I mean, one of the pretty obvious advantages, at least what we thought that jazz had over Isan is the defense. We saw jazz play defense last year at both second base and occasionally a shortstop. And he's, he's highlight reel every single game. He, he makes some special plays. And he, I think that's still the case that he has some next level athleticism that Isan and most other guys can't keep up with, but it's been so far so good. I mean, this spring they hooked up together on at least one double play in that first game. And then, as you mentioned on, on Monday, another couple of great plays from Isan. I mean, they combined to do a shutout when your pitchers are, you're, you have Sandy, but only for two innings and behind him, the other pitchers are Anthony Bass, Ross Detweiler, Anthony Bender, Sean Moramondo. You're not expecting to shut out 
what is expected to be one of the better teams in the league this year in the Mets. So the credit goes to the defense. The defense really did step up and that's, that's going to be a huge key for Isan because if he's a plus defender, all of a sudden at second base, he was kind of shaky. If people remember back to his rookie year that he made some pretty fundamental errors defensively. And uh, that raised some questions about exactly how much you're, commitment you're putting into him long term if he's going to be a liability on that end but he's doing everything in his power to flip that narrative around normally i'd be a little bit more worried right because you're like man what's going to happen Isan and jazz you know it, one of them's going to eventually have to go down to the minor leagues right because you need them to get the at-bats and everything and you want them to continue to develop that's the whole plan but it was just like dude what are we gonna do like thank goodness we got we're, we're a little bit back to normal because we're having triple a double a single a ball available again last year we didn't have that you know it was a 60 game stretch it was everybody all hands on deck let's try to make it happen and and it was beautiful we had what over 60 players play for the marlins last season and we got into the playoffs so um it's 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 a lot more complex again like it's back to what we're normally used to having and i'm grateful for that you know normally i would panic it's like damn what are we gonna do you know because one of them's not gonna get the amount of bats that they need but that's not going to be a problem anymore because you have triple a again. So thank goodness for that. Thank you, baseball gods. And thank you for the world coming back to normal again. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, they announced everything. I think they're trying to move everything ahead of schedule. I think there is still some caution about whether everything's going to go off as planned at the minor league level, just because it's a different business model. I mean, with these major league teams, they're, they're making money at a ridiculous level, even with a limited number of fans in attendance. With these minor league teams, I mean, they're all technically, most of them are independently owned by these small, tech, really small to medium-sized businesses on their own, that they're affiliated with the major league teams, but not totally uh, in partnership with them, that there's at least some rumblings that they may look to push it back to a time later in the spring when they could loosen up the attendance restrictions. I mean, that's going to be the key is exactly how many people these local cities and states are willing to safely allow people to get inside. You know, in Florida, we're seeing a lot of 25, 20, 30% in some cases up to capacity with fans allowed in. And uh, the key is going to be whether they can reach that number all across the U S it with some of these other affiliates with the Marlins, the Marlins are probably rearing to go because they got most of their affiliates in the state of Florida this year, moving forward. So, you know, they're, they're pretty eager to get things opened up, but uh, the, yeah, the question is exactly whether the, the rest of the country is going to be on the same page on Monday, Monday, that first home game of spring training, we got the announced attendance, 1,238 people. It looked a little bit less than that. If you were watching on uh, from what we were able to see, from the press box, from the live stream that the Marlins had set up. But uh, yeah, so smaller than what you're used to, but not too shabby for a Monday game, you know, right to start off the work week in the afternoon. So, and all things considered, yeah, it's, it's definitely a refreshing change from where we were last year, not having, you had noise in the ballpark all throughout last season, but most of it, well, all of it was artificial noise. And now yet it's most of it is is natural and the players respond differently to that and uh you respond differently from it watching from home too it feels like a more a real event it feels like there's more at stake even when these are just there's really nothing at stake in these games except for these like individual battles that we've already touched on i love how how 
you know the fans are finally back you mentioned that we had the artificial sound last year and it was kind of weird like right they they put the sound the fans cheering to kind of make it a little bit normal for fan uh, for the for the players right to get into it but dude uh today uh today some guy yelled at the umpires like if it, if it doesn't go across the white thing it's not a strike you know what i'm saying like dude you love seeing that you love seeing the heckling the one-on-one the interaction like the human errors and letting those letting the fans and the umpires know and the players know you know what i'm saying the the phillies got booed out the house on the first game of the, uh, the spring training so you know that that's great i'm i'm happy that that they're getting booed <laughs> Yeah, the Marlins have been, you know, Marlins fans aren't going to complain about much given how the team kind of overachieved last year, but they've been pretty much perfect to this point because that first game on Sunday jumped out to a 4 nothing lead and held on to it the rest of the way. And then, yeah, in this one, when you combine for a shutout and you play smooth defense behind you, I mean, they did the little things, the little things that fans love, that even when uh, you're in a nasty mood, the you yeah, there's really nothing at all to complain about for the moment, but uh, we'll see how things turn if the expectations get raised out of control. And uh, through two games, we got four home runs from some of the young guys we mentioned, from Jazz and from Lewis, from J.J. Bleday, and now from Aguilar. You got four home runs in two games. If they keep that up, they're going to be the best offense baseball's ever seen. We're hitting multiple home runs every single game, so a little premature to get into that. But uh, one thing we were talking about right before recording is I wanted to get into Aguilar because he was coming off a really good year for this team. Um, one that I think surprised some people, not everybody. I mean, he was, he was coming off a really shaky 2019. He got traded from the Brewers in the middle of a playoff race and rest of the 2019 season kind of rode the bench in Tampa Bay. They didn't necessarily promise him a job entering spring training last year. But he owned it, and he got fortunate. He didn't get caught up in the COVID outbreak, so he was healthy for almost all of last season, aside from like a little back injury towards the end of the year. Hit 277. He was, uh, I think, the team leader in hits. We, we actually have an article that just went up on him as we're recording this uh, on Monday about a season preview, just looking into all the ways that he's improving and in some ways even better than ever with how the power he's hitting for, but also how well-rounded a hitter he is. And uh, I mean, for the first time in his career, well-deserved. He got a nice pay raise for himself, earning about $4.35 million this year on a one-year deal. I'm, I'm sure you're, you're pretty satisfied that they at least brought him back after last year, because that was a little bit of a question with, with the uncertainty about the designated hitter, knowing that he was going to get a pay raise. We didn't even know that he was going to be still with the spring with the team entering spring training, but yeah, I mean, he seems pretty indispensable right now, not just in the lineup, but for what he brings in the clubhouse too. Yeah, man. Jesus is just going to turn up once again. I expect him to have a monster year with the fish. You know why? Because he had a full, like he's, he's had time to recover, to rest, stay at home. It was a 60 game season. It was a fun stretch. He, he was a horse. He was a staple on this lineup and he's going to continue to do so. Duval being added to this lineup is just going to help him drive in more runs. It's more protection for him, for Andy, uh, for Miggy Rowe, for Eson. Everybody that's in that lineup is going to be more productive. Um, Let's not put all our eggs on in the basket with Duvall, right? We're, we're not expecting the guy to come over here and hit 40 home runs and 100 RBIs. If he does, holy cow, great. But um, 
Jesus Aguilar is a, a, a key piece because the Marlins signed them without knowing if we were going to have a DH or not. That being said, I'm thankful that Don Mattingly mentioned moving Gary Cooper out into the into the outfield, easing him in into the outfield. So that kind of gives me the ease of like, all right, these guys are going for the offense. They're going to put Aggie out at first. Cooper's eventually going to get some playing time out and right. They're going to put the best possible lineup to win. And that's what, to, that's what you want to see. And I'm glad to see that these Marlins have a guy in Jesus Aguilar who's embracing the role, you know, kind of like Miggy Rowe. Everybody knows, that goes without saying that Miggy Rowe's embraced the role of a Marlin, of a captain, of a, of a good veteran presence in the clubhouse. And you can say that for a lot of these guys in the clubhouse. These aren't those young boys anymore that, hey, these guys got no experience. These, these, are, these guys have been in the league for a couple of years now. And you know what? They're going to make an impact. You really got to like the maturity that he brings to. He brings sense of humor and some maturity too. this off season. I don't know if you heard, he said he gave up arepas. That was a big part of his diet before <laughs> and he, had, he had to cut those out because he's, he's a big guy. He's always been a big guy. I mean, rumor has it that when the Marlins picked him up, he was closing in on 300 pounds. And they, he thinks that's the reason why he wasn't the player he was supposed to be, you know, back in 2019, he lost a lot of weight heading into last year listed at 277 and now he might be even less than that, making making the tough calls, you know, to, to shit out the stuff that makes you feel good, but doesn't necessarily help you be the best that you are. So between that and uh, I was keeping an eye on him on Instagram, too. I mean, he was showing some of the workouts that he was doing. Um, I, I think he went back to either Venezuela for the offseason or uh, somewhere internationally. And he was putting in the work. He was so I got to respect that he was getting prepared, knowing that he'll have to be playing the field almost every day and uh, not getting that luxury of being a DH that that could be a good thing for him, knowing that he doesn't have that to fall back on. And if he wants to really prove that he could be that everyday player over a full length season and that uh, he needed to make some personal sacrifices. So, so tip of the hat to him on taking that extra step. Yeah. That's a tough one, man. Being in Venezuelan bro or Arepas are like, you know what I'm saying? breakfast lunch and dinner whatever you need you can get it you know what i mean like arepas are, are the go-to so salute to, to aggie i'm gonna try to cut down on the arepas too with you man you know what i'm saying we're trying to make a, a sacrifice because i gained some pounds over the holidays i don't want to talk about it <laughs> hey real quick man you know i love that we have this log jam at first base right we talked about uh, gary cooper we talked about aggie uh lewin lewin is looking great with the glove um i was listening to jp uh, JP made some comments uh, alongside Glenn Geffner today, and he was talking about man, he looks like a first baseman playing, or uh, I'm sorry, a shortstop. Like he's got shortstop hands as a first baseman, and like it's true. Like you really see how he plays, and, and you love to see that. And and Glenn really sealed it. He sealed it off at the end. He said, uh, after you have a really good defensive first baseman, like once you have, once he's not there, you're really gonna miss him. So. Like we're we're blessed to have a defensive minded first baseman. I think he he could kind of be like a Derek, like a left-handed Derek Lee. That might be pushing. Oh, oh, we were talking about yeah, yeah. I was I spaced out for a second. We're talking about Lewin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a really good cup that I've had pop into my mind as well. Uh, he's a little bit different as a hitter, a different style hitter, where he could have just as much, if not even more, power than D Lee, but a little more question about how much he's going to get on base consistently. But he's a guy that 
I'm it's almost it's a little creepy how familiar I am with him because I saw him almost every day over the winter playing in the DR uh, playing in the winter league for the second straight year and he was pretty impressive over there as well one of the younger guys having an everyday role who's teammates with Robinson Cano and Fernando Tatis Jr. down there so it doesn't it doesn't work like that but being shoulder to shoulder with guys that have a couple of the biggest contracts in baseball history you can uh, pick sure their mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Picking my yeah. You can, have, you, can, you can absolutely tell like Lewin's taking it a lot more serious than all these younger guys are. Like you see them all, they look more bulked up compared to Lewin from this season to last season. He he looks like a savage. He's a monster, like holy cow. So um that 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 gets me back to my my initial question was all right, so we have Aggie, um, we have Garrett, and we have Duval, right? Which of these guys do you think is most likely to get moved come the trade deadline? The trade deadline. It's a good question um, because financially, I mean, Duvall and Aggie are in a similar position. I mean, they're, they're different types of players. Where Duvall has that more, at least that recent track record of having great home run power. I mean, each of the last couple of years with the Braves, limited opportunities. But that's a really valuable commodity. I mean, more so than ever, to actually score runs in Major League Baseball, you need to hit it over the wall. It's the players are making less risks when they're on the bases, and it's less common to put balls in play in general because of the strikeouts. So the fact that he can put runs on the board all by himself is it's why the Marlins were drawn to him in the first place. With Aguilar, um, that's a little bit more of a question, to be honest, because last year what made him so good is he was a great all-round hitter and it's had a couple long home runs, but overall it didn't have that as much of a slugging element to him as he's had somewhat earlier in his career back with the Brewers. So I would imagine that if, if they go forward with the season playing as they have in recent years, his last couple of years, Duval's a guy that could probably have more trade value. So, you know, that goes into the equation. You don't want to trade any of these guys if they're great in the clubhouse and if they're helping you win, but if one of them has significantly more value and can get you someone in return that you really want someone like think about it. This comes full circle because the Marlins got Leywin Diaz in 2019 by trading Sergio Romo at the deadline. They didn't want to trade Sergio. He was a closer. He was in the middle of the hottest stretch of a season, but the team wasn't going anywhere. He was on an expiring contract and they were able to do a really creative deal to get Leywin back in return whenever you're able to flip these guys who are pending free agents potentially to get a real impact prospect back in return, I th- this is still an organization that's going to do that. Put such a value on having players that have long-term club control that are cheap, that haven't yet reached their peaks and still have that extra level ahead of them with the right coaching. I would imagine though, that assuming we don't get that DH agreed to that universal DH before opening day, I'm still a little unsure exactly what's going to happen with Aguilar moving forward because he's, he's a fine first baseman. And I think people are underrating how important it is to have a good pinch hitting option too. I mean, even if you don't have a DH almost every single game, that starter is going to come out at some point that's starting pitcher and you need someone to pinch hit in a big situation. So even when Aguilar is not in the starting lineup, he could still be very important to the team. But for that being said, he's even more valuable in the American League for teams that actually have a full-time DH. So for me, for someone that's pretty high on Lewin and who thinks he's going to be up in the majors at some point during this year, uh, I yeah, I could really see a scenario where Aguilar does get traded at some point 
during the year. It's, it's going to be a good problem to have. They're only going to move them if they know that lay one's ready. And if um, tough decisions to be made, uh, I guess the best case scenario though, is if the team is winning at the same level as last year, or even, even a higher level, then at that point, you're going to want to hold on to every single impactful player that you can. So that's where it gets really tricky. And you have some very good problems to have. And, uh, but we still got a full month until we get to opening day. So the most important thing is just making sure that everybody stays healthy this spring. So that keeps all of your options open. If, if you have everybody that makes it through the spring healthy and you know, the Marlins have had a little, a couple injuries on the pitching side already this year, Jeff Brigham, Edward Cabrera, one of their top pitching prospects, They've been sidelined for a little while. So the, the really the most important thing over this next month is just making sure those guys stay as healthy as possible. Yeah, man. The reason I like, I don't want people to get it twisted and misunderstand why I brought that up and trading one of these guys is like, I don't want to trade them. You know what I'm saying? I want to give them every single opportunity. I want to see the Marlins win. Um, but the only reason why I even bring up that question is just because you look, Look at the minor leagues, bro. You got guys knocking on the door. You got guys, we talking about Monte. He needs playing time. Cam Misner, Payne Burdick. People forget about Gerard Encarnacion. You know what I'm saying? These are all outfielded guys that, uh, uh, Connor Scott, you know what I mean? Like, these are all guys that eventually have to get playing time. J.J. Blade, he just missed the opposite field. You know what I'm saying? Like, our first round pick from 2019. So, these are all guys that are eventually – gonna have to get playing time kim said it oh we we want these guys to develop and play right so let the kids play griffin conine let's let's see the kids play you know what i'm saying like i'm all for it i don't want to lose but at the same time we gotta be realistic about our options too that's why i threw it out there jesus you my guy it's funny that the little thing you slipped in there, people forget about Gerard Encarnacion because it's been two games in the spring training and he was a little bit behind schedule because he had, I believe, some visa issues coming back from the DR that he's going to be joining them for games hopefully later this week. But it's been two games and they've seen all the outfield prospects playing these games except for Gerard. And, and all of a sudden he gets overshadowed by them because they put the other guys in and JJ Bleday hits a home run and Meisner, he scored a run today. Uh, on Aguilar's home run, the fact that in verdict, finally seeing Peyton verdict, a guy that the Marlins organization has been hyping up constantly throughout the winter. He was in trade negotiations, but they uh, reportedly, and yet they didn't want to give him up uh, because they believe so much in his potential. So you see all those guys on the field, even in these spring training games, and uh, it puts them top of mind for you. But Gerard is coming. They, they really like Gerard. He's on the 40 man roster. He's a guy that could be making his debut before the year is over. Um, has as much raw power as anybody in the organization drawing those comps to Giancarlo Stanton for the way that he's built. But even if those are turn out to be a pretty big exaggeration, yeah, they are absolutely loaded at that position. Mags, Mags Sierra. Come on, Mags. You know what I'm saying? He's a, he's going to drop the bunt. Like this is a, this is a guy that he's going to bring like more options to the team as well. Like Lewis Brinson, like dude, we got a surplus of outfielders and it's like a really good problem. Got a surplus of pitching. Like it just feels good to say we got a surplus of like talent. Yo, shout out to the front office, Derek Jeter, Kim, Gary Dembo. Y'all doing it, man. Y'all doing it. We all our way. And you know what? I'm going to keep it a thousand with y'all guys. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wants to go out here and we want to think, why not us? And let's go out there and surprise. And if it happens, great. But damn, man. 
the NL East is a freaking monster. You, you look at the, the additions the Mets had and Francisco Lindor, right? All the uh, Carlos Carrasco, all these great pieces that they added. The Phillies, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're a team. They're a potent team. The Braves are still a team that people, like, they. you can't sleep on them. The Washington Nationals were World Series champions a couple seasons ago. You know what I mean? Like, dude, it's, it's going to be a hell of a fight for last place in the cellar. So I don't expect it to be like uh, whoever ends up in, in last place is going to be in last place by 10, 15 games. Now I expect everybody to be get together in a pack. Um, what, how do you feel about that? Eli, you think we're going to be, where do you think we're going to be? I think we're going to be towards the maybe four, fourth place. Yeah. I mean, I'm somebody that likes to wait till the end of spring training just to see who's healthy, who's not, who shows a little something extra, who maybe is taking a little step back. For making predictions but uh i was on that we did a like a pod collaboration with uh, fish across the pond the guy from the uk peter pratt and fish on the farm alex carver and they kind of reeled me into making a prediction and at the moment i went with 74 wins 74 and 88 which yeah the way that this division lines up that's maybe fourth place more likely fifth place that and even though it's an improvement from where they were in the first couple full seasons under this rebuild, I mean, first year almost lost a hundred games, second year lost 105 games. So it's an improvement from that, but all those other teams, the key is that they're just so motivated. Like you can look at all the names on the roster and sometimes we get a little um, overwhelmed by those names, a little fixated on the back of the baseball cards and on, the marketability without actually analyzing what the players could do. Uh, but even when you actually dig into it, that all these teams, even if they, even if they have a couple of players that disappoint, even if a couple of holes open up as the season goes on, these are teams that think they can win now. And they're teams that you could see spending in the middle of the year to make upgrades. They're going to be aggressive on the trade market. The Marlins last year were aggressive in the trade market, got Starling Marte to kind of tie their team together. And, um, but that was, that was an exception. Move. It was huge. And that's the kind of moves that are probably going to make the difference at the end of the year in this division are the Marlins. Do they have another one of those moves in them? Cause we talked about it over the off season. This team, uh, they brought back the band together and that's nice. They didn't really spend money. I mean, this is at the moment projected to be one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, like $60 million. And we know this is this team operates as a small market team for the moment because uh, coming off a really rough year financially in the pandemic and the fact that, you know, attendance is what it is, even when under normal circumstances, TV deal, They, I mean, they have reasons for that. But the bottom line is that, that, that gives you more margin for error. That lets you correct mistakes as they pop up and plug holes with the best players that become available on the trade market. Are, are the Marlins going to be able to make that kind of move to bring in another player of like Starling's caliber? If it's uh, they find the right veteran starting pitcher, you know, that's a big hole that I still am not satisfied with, with this team is that they don't have that that guy that's really been through all the battles before in the rotation that you could trust to give you a huge workload. If the right guy pops up as the season goes on, or do they have the backing from ownership to bring in that guy or, you know, whatever position it is that they want to address, whether they finally want to move on from Jorge Alfaro and upgrade at the catcher position. Yeah. Do they have that commitment 
from ownership and do they have that do they have that same motivation because all these other teams in the division the Phillies and the Braves and the Nats and more so than anybody else probably the Mets they, all these teams are they see their window open right now to win that chip and for the Marlins they when they look themselves in the mirror they're probably thinking the best days of us are still a little bit down the road they, they want to own this whole decade but they're not going to do anything extreme in 2021 to potentially jeopardize what they're trying to build long-term. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think that our window is going to be probably uh, maybe next year, a couple of years from now, you know what I'm saying? That'll be like our, our window to like, let's rock and roll. The Mets will be older. The Phillies will be older. You know, um, the Braves got a sweetheart of a deal with Marcelo Zuna. Jesus. I thought he was going to get more money. You know, come on. You, you, are you surprised? I thought he was going to get at least over a hundred. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. I, early in the off season, I joked that uh, Marlon should bring him home four years, $66 million. And I mean, when I, when I put that out, the understanding was that that would be a great bargain. And it turns out that's almost exactly what he got. He got a little bit less than that. I got four and like 64, four and 65. So I was, yeah, a little surprised. I thought he he would get the the length of the deal feels about right. The four years, I just thought he'd get definitely more a year. I thought he'd be easily north of like seventy five million dollars. So that's that hurts. I mean, you got to compete against him nineteen times this year. That's a pretty big chunk of your schedule that you're facing the Braves, and he's not going to be. I don't think he's going to be the MVP caliber hitter he was last year. Last year was everything going his way that uh, there's more ups and downs over the course of a full year. Either way, he's he's going to haunt them. It's him. And, I mean, it's the same thing with uh, Real Mucho uh, returning to the Phillies. Uh, he got even he got a better deal for himself. Five years, about $113 million. Congrats to him. But, yeah, it's the same effect on the Marlins. It's in your division for the next handful of years, a guy that's riding his prime, that you know, they know more than anybody else what he's capable of. And... Uh, if, unless the Marlins eventually are in that position where, you know, they lock up their own guys that if you let them hit the open market like that, you, you have the jeopardy of having them uh, like face you head to head for the foreseeable future. It's yeah, it's rough. It's, it's really daunting. It's intimidating to see those names even. And at this stage of their career, you expect a lot of them. Maybe they're not the same guys later on in those contracts. Like you were saying a couple of years down the road, that it's you see a clearer opening that those teams take a step back that you expect the Marlins to take a step forward with all these prospects finally like realizing their ability that all this in most cases this is cyclical that's how it works you know you have your golden years you try to take advantage of them and eventually there's enough competitive balance set up that you come back down to earth so a little bit more patience I think until this team really hits its stride Hey, you said the Phillies. You already mentioned that they got booed already on the first game. <laughs> hey, man, I was going to say, um, I love the Marlins, man. I love everything that they're doing. I love that we can be like growing ups about this conversation. But at the same time, enjoy this, this ride. This is going to be a wonderful ride to continue to see these guys develop and grow and blossom into major league baseball players. That being said, man, I can't wait to see the opening day lineup. I'm going to go out on a limb. Think Sterling Marte is the leadoff hitter. Well, I, I guess we should point out that Monday's lineup 
that may have been a pretty good preview. Just to give everybody's memory, if they didn't see this game live, listen to it live, the lineup they put out on Monday, Corey Dickerson lead off, Starling Marte number two, Aguilar three, Duval four, Brian Anderson five, Rojas six, Isan seventh, Alfaro eighth, and Bryn Diesel ninth. Now that was with the DH too, you know, and, and assuming we're going in the direction we're going, pitchers got to hit ninth. But for those top eight, um, that's a possibility that they do it exactly like that. You know, sometimes you you're, you get a little suspicious that they're just trying to tease us, trick us. But I mean, Mattingly, that's usually not his style. If you remember like last spring, last spring, uh, pretty early on in spring training, he was putting together lineups that um, seemed pretty legit. And as it turned out, there, uh, there was a lot in common once you actually like fast forward to the summer and the regular season. I mean, Dickerson is one of the few lefties in the lineup, and yet you put him first. You know, maybe you want to put him further down, one, because he's coming off a shaky year, and two, just because it allows you more variety for later in the games to have lefties, righties, back and forth like that, that maybe you're not putting him in the best position all the way up there. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that I guess he's worth a mention, Dickerson, just because he was a disappointment to just about everybody last year. But, I mean, there were – he mentioned it a little bit as the season was going on in 2020 and he revisited it to the media, like speaking last week that there was just some personal stuff going on in his life, lost his grandfather tragically and uh, just had other personal pressures in the midst of the pandemic that he thinks contributed to it, having what was his worst hitting year of his career. And if you hope that most of that is now behind him, that, um, it's hard to really project this stuff. It's really impossible to know how people react to this, but he's someone that could be a bounce back candidate, just as disappointing as things went for him in 2020, that he's someone that could exceed a lot of expectations this year. Just, he has a great track record and uh, they invested a lot in him on this contract. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he turns out to be a guy that you want batting at the top of the order. You know, he gets overshadowed by all these exciting outfield prospects we have coming up. And he is going to be a free agent after the year. More than likely, this is going to be his last team, last year with the Marlins. That doesn't mean that uh, he's lacking in any motivation. And uh, he's someone that if things go right, that he can frankly be an all-star. He's a guy that could hit at that kind of level for extended periods of time. And he's someone that would help the team kind of exceed those expectations. Yeah, guys also won a gold glove in the past, so... He can really have it all click and come together, and this could be a, a key year for him. He can have a monster year going into free agency for him, help his pockets out, you know what I mean? So that's how he has to look at it. And people are like, yeah, myself included, I was disappointed in the, in the type of season that he had, you know, and yeah, you, you, you said it yourself, he was going through some personal stuff. But a lot of people tend to forget that this guy had a key home run in game one when we faced the Cubs in the, in the playoffs. You know what I mean? And, and that and that moment, it was like clean slate again, my guy. Corey, yeah, <laughs> Corey, you know? So I'm excited. I'm excited, man. It's going to be an exciting season. It's going to be fun. Um, like you mentioned, this is he's going into free agency. So this is another guy that can possibly be flipped, come trade deadline as well. We got pieces to move. Somebody's going to be a contender. What do the Padres call and say, yo, listen, Will Myers got hurt or something. You know what I mean? They need to plug a hole. That's what that's what they did uh, years back. Remember when the Marlins had a uh, Cody Ross? They shipped him over to the Giants. He became a postseason hero. 
who knows, man? Maybe could maybe maybe Corey Dickinson becomes a postseason hero for somebody else. How he did it for us, you know what I'm saying? And, and I wish him all all the best, man. Let's go fish. One thing I wanted to get to though before we tap out of this off the field is that I mean the common thread between the Marlins these last few years they dominate in spring training, and today was an exception. They wore they wore their white unis today for a home game first home game of the spring but ordinarily they wear those blue colors but that luscious blue color in spring training you see them in batting practice during the regular year but ever since the rebrand we haven't seen them for a real game once things get serious for this team even though uh maybe they should be so that's something that has been itching at me for the last couple of years and i'm not alone a little petition that we, we've been had going on fish drives and on social media. Hashtag wear blue, never lose. That just seems to be how it works. This team dominates whenever they are in that mindset and in that color. Uh, where do you stand on that and how important you think it is to get that into their actual real uniform alternation once things start counting for real? Man, I'm all for it. We got to bring the Miami Blues out. You know what I'm saying? When the, when Derek Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman talked about the whole new look, the concept, the the caliente red. Come on, man. We got excited about it. It's the Miami colors, junto Miami, our colores. Remember that? You know what I'm saying? Like that was our slogan. And I'm all for it. I think that Don Mattingly, when when he was being interviewed by Ethan Badowski the other day, he he said, "Yeah, the guys just love the black, the black uniforms." And they look really cool. They look really fresh. The only tweak I think I would make is I would have like, instead of just white bottoms, I would have like white pinstripes. You know what I'm saying? Remember how the guys used to do it back in 03 when they would rock out the black with the pinstripe pants? I think that was hot. And matter of fact, like, I think once they, they, they put that into the rotation along with the old school, the classics, I think we're going to be good. I think we're going to be great. Like, I don't know why I don't see why the Marlins don't rotate more of their 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 alternates like all of them like let's put them all on like let's show off what the history of the, the Miami Marlins the Florida Marlins is like I'm all for it to pull out the Florida hats I don't know if we I want to go as far as pulling out the orange stuff again let's take Eesh. it easy with that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you, you get what I'm saying like how sweet would it be to see the guys again rocking the retros like not necessarily the 97 stuff but like maybe 03 maybe go teal all teal like the andre dawson type of days you know what i mean so right so this is one thing that uh has been complicated because of the ownership change where you know the mantra from Derek jeter hasn't he never really says it out loud but you can read between the lines that he just wants to be everything that L'Oreal was not. He kind of, as much as he sees the history and he knows the championships, you know, firsthand, he saw the Marlins win a title, that 03 title as an opposing player, that for the most part, he wants to start everything fresh and build it up in his under his own principles and values. That was the, what the rebrand was about. And overall, pretty popular rebrand decision. And that being said, not quite as much that they've been doing to honor that history. And they've made some exceptions that have gone well. Overall, though, you know, that's something that's kind of out of his comfort zone. And that kind of goes against his principles because it happened before he got there. But this just seems like at the very least, when you already have this blue uni that is part of 
your wardrobe that this is already something that you guys are proudly wearing throughout spring training and in batting practice before regular season games that it doesn't really seem like much of an ask to actually wear it uh during the games themselves it's not just even marlins fans like you see it outside you see it from people on opposing teams people that don't even have a rooting interest that when you reach those people and you get them commenting about how much they like it and how confused they are that they don't see it, you know, when the lights are brightest and when everything actually gets decided on the field, that w- that just makes me even more confident that we're kind of in, we're on the right path here. And we're, we're, see- we're seeing something that for whatever reason, the organization hasn't quite budged on yet. But uh, yeah, once they do, once they do, I got nothing else to complain about really, because things are going pretty well overall. Touching back real quick uh, on the old ownership, on the past ownership, um, just for the record, uh, the old regime had to pay $5.5 million to the city of Miami, uh, Miami-Dade, for selling the stadium. So I'm glad that the city was able to at least get some money. But damn, what's $5.5 million after they sold for $1.2 billion? Dude, that's nothing. Slapping a wrist, man. Yeah, I saw. I was loosely like following that because that – that's been out there for a couple of years now. Like as soon as they sold the team in 2017, it was both the county and the city. I think part of that money went to the county and part of it went to the city uh, saying, not so fast. We're supposed to have a deal here. You built that stadium with our money. We're supposed to get part of, yeah, that the sale price in return. And I think initially the settlement was going to be a little bit lower, either in the two to $3 million range. So they kept pushing and they got a little bit more for themselves was a small victory from that aspect. Uh, Loria has been pretty quiet, pretty Damn quiet. Man, why'd you have to say his name, man? Oh. <laughs> yeah. with, with everything going on without him, uh, it's, it's been, it's been, I've been surprised how totally quiet, not just him directly, but we don't really know even what he's thinking watching this from afar and seeing how things have changed uh, without him. Uh, it's, it's just, it's night and day. It's a big contrast in styles for sure. I'm like the happiest Marlins fan. Like before I was like a disgruntled Marlins fan. You know what I'm saying? Like the guy from Major League. Yo, <laughs> tear the place down. Let's turn this place into a parking lot. You know what I mean? That was my my mentality sometimes when they were blowing the passer dream and all that. And like rightfully so, man. We had a super squad team and we couldn't do anything. Right? We had Ozuna, Yelich, and everybody knows. Anyway, uh, talking about a little bit of this and that. You know, I want to talk about, um, we talked about Lewin playing in the Dominican, right? And how he has a chance to play with Robinson Cano. And this really like grinds my gears that Robinson Cano can still play like baseball, like on an international level. Like how is my guy like playing in the Caribbean series and he helped the Dominican win, like secure the, the Caribbean series championship and Dominican's a champion again, like congrats to them. But like, dude, like if you get suspended in the major league baseball for, for, for steroid use, you know what I'm saying? Like, dang, dude, like that, that's a big, like, that's a big F up. Seriously. Like, like this is not, this is the second time it happens to him. And it's like, I, I'm not trying to like bash on him. Like I, I'm a big Robinson Cano fan. I'm just disappointed, like on his actions and what happened. Everybody makes mistakes, but like, damn, I think like major league baseball really needs to come and put the hammer down. Like, 
there should be like some international baseball committee or something like that that says, dude, if you can't play in Major League Baseball, so your, 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 your suspension is over, your term is over, and you can't play in the Caribbean, you can't play in Korea, you can't play in Japan, you can't play anywhere, dude, because it's not a good example. How are you still in DR, raking, kicking ass, and it's like nothing happened. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. I, I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't sit well with me. You know what I'm saying? I know there's gonna be people that's gonna come at me or whatever. Take it how you want it. You know what I'm saying? I'm still Team Robbie Cano, but damn, everybody knows he effed up. I'm keeping it 100. No, I'm in disbelief that this is coming from you, Mister Anti Manfred. That baseball is already doing too much and taking control of the game in wrong ways. That Major League Baseball isn't all baseball. You know, there's more to the sport around the world than just this league that you know it has the best players in the world and it's the one that we obviously follow more closely than anything before but there is as you mentioned in the in the winter ball and across the world in japan and korea and taiwan that there's uh there's a whole lot more to this game around the world than just what happens in mlb that there are that's the whole reason why those leagues exist that those are the leagues that not just with uh steroid guys but other ones that for a variety of reasons just fall out of favor in the major leagues that they get a second chance or a third chance in these other leagues and they thrive in it you, you remember delman young delman young was in major league baseball for over a decade yeah he was a pretty good run produ- producer kind of a one-dimensional player and he can declines kind of all of a sudden in his late 20s early 30s he's been over in australia for like the last three years he's raking in australia and creating a, a new life for himself over there it's mostly out, just he was out it's mostly just with, a, uh, a winter ball but that's uh that's just one example of these guys that kind of find new life once they get outside the mlb orbit and like I said, I like the fact that there's some separation between these different leagues that some, some of these leagues do it better than major league baseball in different ways, whether it's with their rule changes or whether it's with their gameplay style that, uh, yeah, I think we should embrace that. And, uh, not necessarily there are certain things, of course, that a player could do that a person can do that can make them unemployable for sure. I wouldn't necessarily put a positive PED test in that category. I think you're talking about more heinous crimes, that would be more disqualifying. Uh, yeah. That being said, I, yeah, I, I'm totally fine with, you know, seeing him making something of himself during this year away from baseball sacrifice, losing his whole salary for his mistake during the 2021 season. So I don't, uh, as someone that also roots for Cano in particular, that has always really liked his game, liked his swing, uh, liked his consistency year in, year out. Yeah. I got nothing against him. It all went downhill when he became a Met. <laughs> <laughs> hey, real quick, man. We were having this conversation, man. A couple of things came to my mind. You were saying Australia. You know who was out there playing ball in Australia? Manny Ramirez. How cool is that? One of the baseball goats. Like, obviously, he's part of the whole steroid scandal, too. And he should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. But whatever, man. That's a whole different subject to get into. Um, and then to, to finish off the whole thing that we were talking about, there should be like an international baseball committee or something. You ever played the game FIFA? Yeah, I played FIFA. Yeah, yeah, right. I just I think I came up with like a cool idea, right? The concept would be like an international, like you just play any team 
from any league, right? Like you could pick the Marlins versus, you know what I'm saying, a team from Korea or a team from – that would be epic, I think. It would be cool. Like you could play like on some online stuff. Come on, man. Hey, whoever you are, contact me. Let's make it happen. Ah, yeah. You wouldn't want to play it? You want to? You would probably definitely discover like a whole different league. You would see like, oh, all right, I'm gonna play in the Dominican league, and you play with the Dominicans, the Dominican squad. I don't say that necessarily that they need to have like all their player names. They could do it like the old school EA way and just have like you know what I'm saying, just number twelve. You know what I'm saying? That would be cool. Come on, EA. Damn, look at us, man. You heard it here at Marlins Barbecue. This is what happens at the barbecue. Good things happen. You crack a brew. You talking with your boys. You talking Marlins baseball. Yeah. I, you piqued my interest with that. I can see that working for sure. Uh, Mexico, Mexico Pacific League. They have a pretty big league out there as well. Yeah, Japan, Korea, uh, in Taiwan. Use a Jorge Cantu with Team Mexico. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah, all the winter ball leagues that those when you really like dive into it, they have some passionate fans. They have some fans that have a uh, they have a lot of history in a lot of those leagues. Some of them have been around. I mean, we think about the Marlins. Marlins have been around since '93. I mean, almost all of these leagues have been around for way longer than that. In the DR, I think they have some teams in the Dominican that have been around for 100 years. And um, I know in, in Japan, they've been going back uh, generations that for most of these fan bases, they have a, a lot of history. It gets passed through the generations and people take a whole lot of pride in it. For some of these leagues, you know, they overlap with Major League Baseball. Other ones that if they're in the winter, you can kind of get the best of both. And I, it's, it's really beautiful. It's beautiful. I like the fact that even though, like I said, we spend almost all our time on the Marlins and on the major leagues that this beautiful game, it reaches all corners of this world. And it is, uh, yeah, there's a lot more diversity than you might think at first. Well, thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. This is Alex Contreras signing out alongside Eli Sussman. For more exciting information and content, visit us on fishstripes.com. I'm the real Acon signing out. Eli, you wanted to say anything? Keep the music and go fish. <laughs>